0: I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard show. You know, our mission is to serve you with advice and info that empowers you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. Well, tomorrow is Valentine's day. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me to give some advice to couples in love on how to avoid One of the things we tend to fight about a lot and can cause distance in a couple, and that's money. And later, I've talked about assumable mortgages before, something that was just the way mortgages worked two generations ago. And then, assumable mortgages where you could, somebody owns a home, they've got a mortgage, they got a good deal on it. You, in the old days, could assume the mortgage at the rate it was instead of having at a time with higher interest rates like now having to take out a new mortgage well believe it or not there are mortgages available not the majority of loans in the market but quite a few that you can assume the existing rate but finding them is like a needle in a haystack and i want to give you some advice how you find those but right now Valentine's Day. First things first, I would be terrible if I didn't talk about the fact that tomorrow there's going to be deals on flowers. If you're a last minute kind of person, you're going to be able to go buy flowers at supermarkets. Trader Joe's has done this forever. Starting a couple of years ago, Whole Paycheck, Whole Foods started doing this where you could get roses at a really great price. A lot of regional supermarket chains sell large quantities of roses at very affordable prices for Valentine's Day. The florists, they're already booked up. Those are a whole different thing, different cut of flowers, pretty expensive, but it's a different thing. They're delivered. This case, you become your own delivery person, my kind of style. And this year, like all prior years, I got my wife two dozen roses at Costco for $18.99 before Costco raises its prices for Valentine's Day. I always do that two weeks out and give her her flowers then. So last year, I also went, we live walking distance from a Trader's and from a whole paycheck. And I walked over to the Trader's. They were sold out of roses when I got there. So then I walked the other way and went to whole paycheck, and I got a great deal on roses. So my wife got them both two weeks out and got them the day of Valentine's Day. So yes, I buy into all the flower hype. That's just who I am. But let's talk about the other thing. You got romance, and then you have things that eat at romance. You want to eat at romance in a hurry? You lie about money. You know, Bankrate every year this time does a survey – they found, survey says, over 40% of people in a relationship, marriage, living with someone, whatever, lie about money to their significant other or spouse. Lie about money. You want to create distrust? Lie about money. People hide accounts. People hide, they call it financial infidelity. They have a catchy term. People lie about accounts, hide accounts hide credit cards, hide debt. Wow. That is a poison for passion. So I want you to think about coming clean with that person you love. I know there can be unbalanced relationships. You could potentially be in a relationship that has, unfortunately, some abusive nature to it. In that case, I understand why you'd hide an account or whatever. You're trying to mentally prepare yourself, trying to plan how you're getting out of a relationship. Yeah. In a circumstance like that, we're talking about a different thing. And you do hide assets in a situation like that. But as a general rule, with money, the more you're honest with each other, the better. And I think it all starts with the assumptions we make, particularly in early phases of coupling up with somebody, we assume the person we're falling in love with or in love with has the same attitudes about money as we do, has the same goals as we do. And before there's a flashpoint about some bill, have in a non-confrontational way, in just a conversational way, just say, what are you thinking? What? How long do you want to work? What? What is your dream about? What your life's going to look like down the road? And those kind of things are not in any way uncomfortable questions, but they get a conversation going with someone you love about what you're about. And over time, you ask questions not when a bill comes in that's past due, but yeah, how do you feel about carrying debt? what debt's okay to you, what debt's not okay. Conversations when there's not already a crisis is very important because it then informs when you love someone, you don't want to create problems that would tear at that fabric of love. So you want to have conversations. So you then learn what strategies are going to work best with money in your life. You go in with open eyes knowing that one or the other of you is a spendaholic, or one or the other of you doesn't mind having credit card debt, or one or the other of you saves money for retirement, the other doesn't. So in that kind of situation, as long as everybody understands and everybody's got their different ways of handling money and that kind of thing, you don't commingle a lot of stuff other than a household account to pay commonly agreed bills. Utilities, rent, mortgage, car payments, whatever it is. Even with cars, you could each pay for your own if you have really different attitudes about money. The important thing is knowledge, not secrets. The more you communicate with each other, the better that goes and the less you hurt what's so special, hopefully, about the relationship you have with each other. You know, it was funny because for my wife, when she was growing up, money was not considered to be a polite topic. She and I get married and, you know, I'm always talking about money. Not like money's a God, but that money is something that you manage, you plan for, you save, you have goals. And for me, from a very young age, financial independence was important And it took a while for this to become a comfortable conversation for her. But now, I mean, ask Lane a question about money. She can talk to you about it in great depth. Because, I mean, we've been together for such a long time. We've been married more than 28 years. So early in a relationship is when you establish the understanding of each other and your attitudes about money. Because it's really important for the relationship to thrive.
1: All right. We'll go to questions. This one's from Neva in North Carolina. I have a question relating to the dire plight of would-be first-time home buyers. My husband and I are in our late 20s and have never borrowed a nickel since we paid off his modest student loans shortly after getting married in 2018. We That's could, great. We could swing it on our income, but we're not enthused about borrowing north of $250,000 to get into a modest single-family home, which is what it would take at our local market. We've always hoped to buy a home by 30, three years from now, but now I'm wondering if renting perhaps as much as another five to seven years and saving aggressively wouldn't be wiser. If we aim for more like a 40% or even larger down payment a few years later, rather than doing 20% now, we'd obviously save a lot of money on interest. Where's the best place to park this money while we pile it up And is there anything else you'd advise us to do as we practice a little delayed gratification so we can save more spend less, and avoid getting ripped off on our first home?
0: First of all, I understand the frustration, and I'm so impressed with how the two of you handle money. This is great. And housing prices stink. You know, the amount of income it requires, weeks work, you know, and all that in order to be able to afford a place to buy and live Is terrible right now. I have stated before and I believe strongly that we're going to see a moderation of that lack of affordability. Doesn't mean housing prices drop, but it means that housing prices meander and incomes over time rise, make housing more affordable. And mortgages will be more affordable even later this year. They're not going back to one, two, three percent. But back in the fives is like a certainty. And so those payments will become more affordable. In the next three years, with the way you've saved money, the way you handle money, you're going to be fine even in that cycle. You will be able to save the next few years, buy a home, the mortgage will be more affordable than it is now, and the home prices versus your income will be more affordable I'm confident in that. This is just a really bad temporary cycle we've been in with housing prices. Why? Because the marketplace responds. You're buying in North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. So North Carolina has the land. It's not land constrained like certain other places in the country where it becomes really hard like along the coast to build more affordable housing. Most of North Carolina, that's not an issue. It's about building more inventory for natural population growth and the rest. It's going to happen. So I'm not worried about you with your financial habits, the way you handle money as a couple, being able to afford a home in that three-year cycle. Right now, you're right. Rents are much cheaper in most of the country Effectively than buying a home. In fact, one of the greatest gaps of my memory between the effective cost of purchase and the cost of rent.
1: Jackie in South Dakota says My husband recently inherited 80 acres of land from his uncle. He brought up the concern of ever being sued and the property being forfeited. He is a law enforcement officer, so he sees it all the time that they seize assets that are paid in full. However, if there is a lien on the property or item, such as a car, they don't bother with it. He wondered if we would need to take out a loan against the property to prevent this from happening. We have never been given such a generous gift, and he is very nervous about losing it. We are in our mid-40s. We live pretty modestly and are just a few years from being completely debt-free, including our house. With this property, it puts us really close to the million-dollar net worth mark. The property will pay for itself as it is farmland. We have no intention of changing anything about our lifestyle. We will update our house and get one newer used vehicle, but nothing crazy.
0: So, Jackie, I understand the, the risk you face with an uncovered asset, land you own free and clear, and I'm sorry for your husband's loss of his uncle that brought you this land. So, the easiest way, since the land is owned free and clear, is you can move the, the title of the land into an LLC. Limited liability entity, limited liability company or corporation, depending on what it's called in a state. And then you have shield against personal liability with that land. And that would normally be step one. Step two is because of your husband's occupation, having good liability insurance coverage in your life potentially even an umbrella insurance policy, which is an overlay of liability insurance that is not expensive. We're talking about a couple of hundred or so dollars a year to have a liability shield. You have enough assets, even forgetting the land that your husband inherited from his uncle, it would be a great idea for you with the amount of assets you have to have an umbrella insurance policy which either your insurance company or if you have an agent, your agent can explain to you and make happen for you.
1: Laura in North Carolina says, I have two nieces ages three and four years old. My sister and spouse are not savers and typically spend everything they earn plus. When I bring up saving for their kiddos' future, they usually repeat something like, let's live for today. I worry for my niece's financial future if they want to attend college or purchase a house. I want to open up an account or two accounts, one for each. I want to add to it every birthday and Christmas. My parents are also wanting to contribute as they have similar concerns. What are the pros and cons of opening a 529 for them? Would this interfere with future scholarship or grant opportunities? Would a high interest savings account be better in the case they do not want to go to college and they put it toward a home, maybe a Roth IRA? They are so young, I have no idea what they'll want or need in the future, so maybe flexibility is a good thing. Love the show, and it has helped me build a seven-figure net worth in my mid Thirties. Wow! You.
0: Wow! Isn't it funny in families that siblings can have completely different attitudes about money? And here you are—you're now a millionaire in your thirties, and your sister. Well, uh, she's just not into having any pennies to rub together. Uh, joy of vive is that how you say it. Joy vivive. Joy vive. Thank you. See, there's a woman of letters next to me, (laughs) a scholar. Please. So one thing you will find, I'm just giving you fair warning, later in life you might find that you're looked at as the Bank of Laura to help with your sister's finances. Just know that may be coming down the pipe. So if your family culture is one where people generally attend college, Absolutely. The answer is you own two 529 accounts, one for the benefit of each of your two nieces. Your parents open a 529 account for each child. So each kid would have two 529s, one owned by a grandparent, and you would own one on each of the nieces. And then that money cannot be grabbed by the parents. It will not have a meaningful impact on financial aid for the two nieces later on if and when they go to college. And then the other aspect of this is that if college does not turn out to be the play for one of these kids, up to 35 grand with a whole bunch of rules you have to follow can be migrated tax-free, penalty-free, ultimately in adulthood, into a Roth IRA for the benefit of the child. So you keep everything tax-free, growing tax-free, spent for education tax-free, no education, Roth IRA tax-free. So it's a really great uh, set of circumstances. And I have my guide to 529s at clark.com slash 529 that'll walk you through which plans are the best and how to open them. So I really appreciate your generosity for your nieces. And it's just, again, it's always so crazy true how different the attitudes about money can be among siblings. I think all of us that have siblings have seen that movie. Coming up ahead, We were talking about the lack of affordability of homes and the lack of affordability of mortgages. But what if you could dial back history and grab one of those ultra low mortgage rates from the previous era? I'm going to tell you how that plays straight ahead. So there is an opportunity in the marketplace that negates a lot of the negativity I was spreading just a few minutes ago. And I, and I should talk about this with the couple that has been such great savers. They have no debt. They want to buy a home and they're so frustrated how ridiculous homes are right now in cost versus renting a place, even though they'd love to own a home. So, there is a shortcut that I talked about before and obviously did not talk about it clearly because of the number of questions people have had about it. So, assumable mortgages. An assumable mortgage is one that you, they could be non-qualifying or qualifying, usually they're qualifying, where you're able to take over somebody's existing loan at their interest rate, which is known as non-escalating. And this is true, the biggest part of the market this is true for, but there are other loans available as well, is FHA, VA. Savvy real estate agents, when they're doing a listing for somebody selling a home, are putting in it, assumable rate at 3.5%, assumable rate at 4%, assumable rate at 2.75%, whatever it is. And you got some paperwork to jump through, And some of the banks hate this and are defying the law, not cooperating with these assumables. But this is what they're supposed to do, and this is what the law allows, is that you can assume these FHA and VA loans and have the rate that those loans have. And then you completely change the math on buying a home. People have had a hard time finding these needles in a haystack And there's a startup called Rome that I talked about before and confused people talking about it. The website is withrome.com. And they're in a bunch of the fast-growing states, you know, Florida, Texas, Georgia, parts of California, maybe Arizona. Anyway, they're in a bunch of the fast-growing states, not so much in the, the states that aren't seeing population growth. And with them you're able to see a listing of these. But if you go through Rome as a buyer, you have to pay a 1% fee to them for them having located an assumable loan for you at a really low interest rate. You should expect that your agent is going to do this work for you if you have a buyer's agent, that he or she, knowing you're interested in this as a segment of the market, that they'll go out and find these available. But the savings over time, the 1% to rome I mean, ultimately you make back way more than that. And what you save in what you're paying in a mortgage, if you're able to assume somebody's, let's say 3.75% mortgage versus paying six something percent mortgage interest rate, it's a potential game changer for you. For a seller, if you're in a home with an FHA or VA loan, and you're able to market that as an assumable interest rate, it means you may get more for your home than you would if somebody has to go out and qualify for a loan at today's rates. What's the downside as a buyer? Okay, there is a downside. So let's say somebody bought that home any number of years ago. They got that cheap loan. You're only assuming the balance on that loan that could be quite a bit less, will be quite a bit less than what you're buying the home for. So you either have to be somebody who's got a lot of money you can put into the deal, or you're going to have to take out a second loan that will be at today's higher rates plus because it's in second position to be able to buy it. So this is not a free lunch kind of thing. But for a buyer who's got a lot of money saved, to put into a home purchase deal and can cover that gap between that assumable low interest rate loan and the purchase price of the home, this could be a sweet ticket for you to be able to buy a home now. I hope that explanation was better than my last
1: one. (laughs) Ernest in Florida says, I'm trying to simplify. I have multiple checking and savings accounts at multiple banks and credit unions, including one that holds a zero balance. Is there any downside to closing no longer used or needed bank accounts?
0: Ernest, you're in my head. I just did this and closed two bank accounts that really became surplus in my life. Well, they were actually credit union accounts and closed them. And... You doing this is really great because who can handle all these statements, all these accounts and all that, and we think it's a hassle. They're actually pretty easy to close, you'll find out, particularly if there's no automatic payments or automatic drafts tied into one.
1: Tracy in North Carolina says, my question is regarding the Greenlight card for kids. My niece has signed up to her daughter for this account and sent me the link so I can send money to my great-niece directly for birthdays, Christmas, et cetera, which I currently either send through PayPal or give cash in a card when I see her in person. What are your feelings on this card? Is it a safe link to transfer money into? And Again, thank you for all that you're doing to be sure we all make better decisions in all avenues of life.
0: Well, Tracy, thank you very much. Krista and I have always had different opinions about the green light card because it comes with fees, but Krista feels, well, I'll let you say.
1: No, I mean, I used it briefly with my kids cause it does. I mean, you're paying them for the software and this thing they've developed where you can say what stores kids can buy things from with the card. You can um, have them put money into charity. You can have them earn for chores and click off individual chores. They did, and they get money depending on the job they did. So it is pretty sophisticated software if you're trying to teach kids about money. And I think if someone develops it, they deserve to be paid for it. If it's a, a teaching tool, I mean, I pay for private school for my kids. So if I want to pay five bucks a month to have them learn about money in that way, I would, you know,
0: okay. That's so what I say, I mean, that's what Chris has always said. I've always thought it was the 60 bucks a year was better in the kids hands, but the goals control and oversight that comes with green light you have to make that decision uh, in your case, you're helping out your niece. The parents have made the decision. Yeah. They feel that this is a worthwhile tool and a worthwhile expense. And so I think that's how you make the decision.
1: It's safe to send money to though, as far it is as we safe, know, oh, I'm sorry. It is yeah. safe to
0: send money to, which was the question you asked.
1: Jay in North Carolina says, I have a pretty big family, 14 people And we want to take a week-long vacation. We're flexible on dates and location. We are only looking for all-inclusive resorts or cruises. What would be a good place to find last-minute deals for such a large group? We live near Raleigh-Durham, the Raleigh-Durham area. Flights to Tampa are roughly around $100, making cruises very affordable.
0: So Jay, you're not going to find necessarily that it's going to be an easy group movement to buy last-minute for things But the thing is, if you plan well in advance and you can use the calendar as your friend, since you say you're flexible on dates, that's the whole game. If you, as an example, just you need like an hour and a half to do this. But if you just like look, take a particular cruise line and you write down this old fashioned pen and paper, you write down by week how much different cruises are, from a cruise line that you're happy on going on. It's a stunner how much different the price is from one week to another on the same ship and how different the prices are from one ship to another with even the same cruise line. Uh, With cruises and a group movement, there's not a magic booking at the last minute. You know, it used to be before the sophisticated computer programs that Cruise lines had standby at the port. They'd figure out they had eight empty cabins, and the first eight couples as standbys would get those cabins at like screaming fire sale prices at the last minute. Plus, you can go on Cruise Critic, uh, Cruise Compete, different websites, and see what deals there are. There are lists of what they refer to as last-minute cruises, which usually means booking six weeks out or less. But I think because you have flexible dates and location, that's the key to you saving a lot of money. And
1: if he's a Costco member, what do you think about Costco travel?
0: You know, in this case, you could, if you find a deal and you want to book through Costco travel, you could. What's more important in this case is... Surveying the waterfront. And I think you start at either if you've got a favorite cruise discounter, you want to see what deals they've got, or you do the methodical, slow thing, looking week by week for ship by ship and see those price differences because it is a stunner. And, and there are certain times that are obviously cheaper. September, after kids have gone back to school, is a real bargain time for cruises. The December period after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, is a dead, dead time for travel. Resorts, cruises, whatever, it's most years the cheapest 10 to 14 day period of the year for travel. So the calendar in your case is your key to savings and it's your friend with your flexibility.
1: Robbie and Georgia says, so I'm considering purchasing a Polestar 2. What are some drawbacks?
0: first, let's talk the advantages. Polestar, if you enjoy driving it, you like the experience. I mean, electric cars are just fun to drive. Polestar 2 is cheaper in the marketplace than a lot of other choices. The big drawback with the Polestar 2 is charging. The charging infrastructure for anything not called Tesla is a problem. That is the bad part, is that when you want to do a road trip, if road trips are part of why your cycle of ownership would exist for an electric vehicle, we're years away, probably three years away, maybe two, to some places in the country, where the electric vehicle over the road charging network will be reliable, adequate, and fine to use. Today, with the Polestar and many other brands, They're kind of city mice, not country mice. The country mice thing starts and ends at this point with Tesla and the companies that throughout 24 are adopting the Tesla charging standard and you're able to use their phenomenally reliable and widespread network for a vehicle. And I got to tell you, it's funny. Electric vehicles are so out right now which makes them now the best deal to buy they've ever been because people are down on them, used ones, new ones. And so electric vehicles this year are quite a buy. I'll mention another one, the Mustang Mach-E, which when first came out, people were paying way above manufacturer-suggested retail price for them. They are sitting there by the zillions, unloved on either factory lots that Ford has or on dealer lots they're making deals and so if one fits your lifestyle this is a great time to look electric and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day know what we're about you learning ways to save more spend less and avoid getting ripped off